You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to week two of the 5G life. Very excited about this, and uh, as we get into our second message, it's all about this. It's, I am a Christ follower, living life for what matters most. That's what we want to do. We want to make our lives count for Jesus. It's a short life. Remember, we talked about this last week. It's a short life. We have limited time, and so we want to make uh, the most of it together. I am a Christ follower, living life for what matters most. Most. The target that we're after is following Jesus. We'll go to the next slide here. This is the target. Christ follower. This is what I'm after. And uh, so this is, this is what we're after. The theology that supports this is summarized in these three words. Abide, connect, and share. It is necessary for me to abide in Jesus. Apart from abiding in him, I, I, it's impossible to follow him. I must abide in him. I must connect with his people and to share him with others. A true follower of Christ cannot hoard their faith, can't keep their faith to themselves, that are compelled to share and to multiply in one another and also with others uh, to invite others to know Jesus also. So we've got our target. We've got our theology. Now what we're doing today and in the next five weeks is we're unpacking the application of that. So this being what we're after, following Jesus, and this being what we believe, what we're doing now is we're saying, okay, what then shall we do? Like, how do we respond to this ambition with this theology? Like, what's some, what are some handles we can put on this? What, what practically, what's our practical application as a, not only as an individual, but as a church together? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to that? And you can see on the outside of the diagram here, we've got these five Gs. God time, gather time group time, give time, and go time. All of these intended to be the application of this theology. And so what we're doing is one G at a time each week, today, in the next five, in the next four weeks after this week, to, uh, to preach, to teach on these five Gs, again, flowing out of this theology toward this target of being Christ followers. And uh, so this is exactly what we're after. This, this 5G life is really five commitments that we're making together as a local church toward God time. We want God time daily, to be daily connecting with him. Uh, we want to gather time weekly. There we go. We got in the next screen. Gather time weekly. So we have our weekly worship services. We'll talk about God willing next week. We'll spend some time on that. And then group time faithfully. Now for some of you, it's going to be weekly because you'll be in a small group that meets every week. Some of our groups meet three weeks out of four. Some of them maybe we every other week. But the target that I'm after is I want to be faithful to that group time because the fellowship and what goes on there is so important to my Christian life and to the lives of my brothers and sisters. So we've got God time, gather time, group time, faithfully, Give time regularly for some. Maybe that's just gonna is gonna be monthly, uh, where you've got some monthly service that you're involved in, or perhaps it's more frequent. Give time involves yes, financial giving, but also especially we're thinking of it in terms of serving. And then go time, go time annually. Now listen, every day is go time. Every day. Every single day is go time. But what we're aiming after here, and we'll get to it in the, the, the final sermon, is uh, what we're after is, is intentionality and, and even being strategic. 
Like, in what specific way can I, can, can our small group, can me and some of my Christian friends, or us and our family, like, imagine mom, dad sitting down with your kids and saying, okay, what are we going to do as go time this year as a family? Setting aside intentional time to be engaged in ministry toward advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Setting aside specific time. And we've got some, uh, some scripture to support that when we get there. So these are the times that we're after. Remember, remember relationship. It's all about relationship. About relationship with God, a relationship with our local church, relationship with our world. And the key investment in every relationship, there's more than one key, but one key for sure is time. And we've got only so much time. So how do we make the most of it? What we're saying is these five times are critical or crucial for the Christian life and how we want to roll as a church. Because it's not just a new series, it's also for us a new season. Remember the purpose, the reason why we're doing this series. There's six of them. There's clarity. First of all, we want to be really clear about what do we mean. When we talk about following Jesus, being a Christian, what do we mean by that? Now, if you've been around our church for a while, and you've gone through the essentials class, which is all about who we are and what we believe. You've heard of the three Ds. Uh, the three Ds, delight, devote, display. Delight in Jesus, be devoted to Jesus, display Jesus. The three Ds. It's been part of sort of our, our, our DNA and part of our grain. I love the, four, I love the three Ds. They're, love the, they're, they're great. They're accurate. I'm all in on that. But in this season, it's, what we're going after here is these five Gs are just maybe maybe just on the practical side of things, a little more, just get, my, get a handle on that, what that is and what that looks like. So, so we're still all about the 3Ds, but we're replacing the 3Ds with 5Gs, okay? And so for clarity, so we understand what we mean and we know what that looks like and we can measure. How are we doing? Are we really following Jesus? When you have clarity, you've got unity because we, we know what each other's talking about and we agree together about what we're after. And then consistency throughout all of our ministries in the church. And then here, this is a big one, remember? This is a big one, maturity. This is, this is what the Lord's goal for you is, that you would grow mature in him. And also that we do this, our purpose is a sense of, we want a sense of urgency. Like the time is now, life is short. We could be in eternity tomorrow. So let's not, let's not waste time. We don't have time to mess around. We wanna be after this. Clarity, unity, consistency, maturity, urgency urgency, and then fruitfulness. We want to be about the Lord's business, doing what he calls us to do, bearing fruit as he supplies us the strength. So that is what we're after. I think we've got the whole picture on the next slide. I think, I think, I think maybe, I think, yeah, there it is. That's awesome. So we've got, this is the whole, this is like Hope Niagara. Okay. Who are we? What are we about? Jesus is our foundation. Amen. Amen, that's right. And we got our five pillars. You say our pillars? Yeah, okay, we've got so much stuff here. It's real simple. Jesus is the foundation. The five pillars are the practices that we prioritize. It's our strategy for doing ministry. As we do that, we're doing this to make 5G disciples, genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. And of course, the reason we're doing all this is because this is our purpose, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment by making 5G disciples through building on these pillars on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You ready? You ready, team? Ready? Go! All right, let's go. Let's go to the first G. You know what the first G is? You remember? Do you remember? God time. We'll go to the next slide here. Shane Reed made this for me. I love that. The little magnifying glass over God time. So you can keep it all in view here. But we're looking at this question, this topic of God time. If you want to live a fruitful, empowered life for Jesus, you must cultivate a real, personal personal intimate relationship with him. Let me say that again. If you want to live a fruitful, empowered life for Jesus, you must cultivate a real, personal, intimate relationship with him. Remember John 15, 4 from a week ago? 
Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And then he uses the illustration of a vine and branches. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, so picture that, that branch connected into that vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The life we live for God flows out of our relationship with God. So it's vital we invest time in that relationship with him. So let me ask you a question. You ready? How much time do you spend with God? Like, honestly. Don't have to answer out loud. It's just you and the Lord, okay? So, and he already knows. So honestly, how much time do you spend with him? And just so we're clear, when I talk about spending time with God, I mean time spent in his word, reading his word, and talking to him in prayer. Me listening to God through reading his word, me talking to him, responding to what I'm reading by talking to him. How much time do you spend in that focused time of prayer and being in the Word? How much time do you spend with God? Second question, how often do you spend time with God? Like, how frequent are your meetings with Him? How, how frequently are you in God's Word? How frequently are you talking to Him? Third, how important do you believe it is that you spend time with God? How important do you believe this is? This is? Like, honestly. Like on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being absolutely vital, 1 being totally optional. Where, where would you... How important? Where would you scale that? How important do you believe it is to spend time with Him? When it comes to God time... I would submit to you that there's, there's no better example to follow and no one better to learn from than Jesus himself. Jesus shows us the way and teaches us the way when it comes to God time. And after all, that is what we are after together, to be Christ followers. So what I want to do with you today is to look to him. And I, I want to show you something from the life of Christ that someone else showed me that I think brings into focus the priority and the necessity of God time. And we're going to go to a few different passages of Scripture today, okay? So you're going to have to be patient with me because we're going to be moving around. But it's okay. Stay with me. I'll be patient. You be patient, and we'll make it to lunch, okay? You ready? I'm going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, as we look to Jesus under the banner of God time, the priority and the necessity of God time. And as we're turning here to Mark chapter 1, I want to remind you that we are looking to Jesus. He's going to teach us, and he's going to show us. Now remember, this Jesus, he is indeed fully God. Always has been, always will be. He's fully God. And yet he also is fully human. When Jesus came into the world that first Christmas, and Christmas is coming, by the way. Isn't that exciting? So exciting. Christmas is coming. And when we celebrate the birth of Jesus into, when he came into the world, when he came in the world, he took to himself human nature. So he is fully God, but also recognize as we read these texts today and look to him, we are looking at one who is also fully human. He became human in order to die for humans. While he's always fully God, he's also fully man. So therefore, he can relate to us. 
And he, he knows what it's like to live this life, not just because he knows everything, but because he's also experienced it. And therefore, he sets for us an example that is followable. You know, that's not a word, but you know what I'm saying. He sets for us an example that we can follow. So as we, I'm emphasizing this. So as we read this, the temptation to say, oh, well, that's Jesus, and he was perfect. I'm not perfect, so how could I follow that? You misunderstand the ministry of Jesus. Yes, he is fully God, and he is perfect in righteousness and holiness, but he's also fully human, and in his humanity, he lives in the power of the Spirit, and, and he, so he shows us the way to follow him, and so we need to take that very seriously. And when it comes to the concept of God time, he shows us the way for you and I to follow. He says, here's the path, walk in it. Okay, you got that? So we're at Mark 1 and 35. Let's look and see what Jesus is doing here in this verse. It says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So notice, what time is it? It's very early. How early? Well, the sun isn't up yet. That's early. And he goes, he goes to a quiet place. What did you just say? Zero, zero dark 30. I like that. I had to ask because I knew it would be something good. And what did he do when he got to that quiet place? A desolate place. He prayed. Loved ones, this is God time. Now, my question is, what's the context here? What, what's going on around here, this circumstance, that leads us with Jesus that very early in the morning out to a desolate place? Well, if you just look back a few verses earlier, up to verse 29, we see the context. And this context takes us back to what happened the day before, verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now, this is pretty neat. He, so he, he left the synagogue. So he'd been there teaching. He'd been there preaching in the synagogue. So lots of ministry, probably a busy day and answering questions and, and there in the synagogue. So finally, finally, he gets to go back over to his friend's house, hopefully sit down, put his feet up, put the Bills game on and just relax, right? That's that maybe, maybe what they were thinking was going to happen, but that's not what happened. Look at verse 30. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she went and began to serve them. Isn't it amazing? So he's still got things to do. Okay, so now he can sit down and watch the Jays game. Like now he can, no, hang on, notice verse 32. That evening at sundown, he's already had a busy day, busy day, a ministry-filled day. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Notice verse 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Imagine that. I mean, you and I, we get overwhelmed. Like, how many people are coming over? Six people are coming over. He's got the whole city at the door. Imagine that's all these people crowding around. And they're not just there to get a selfie with Jesus. They're there with sick people and demon-possessed people. Imagine the chaos and, and the, the spiritual war that's going on. And notice when this really picks up. Like, he had a busy day already. And then it's sundown. It's evening time. It's getting to be nighttime. And everybody's coming out to see Jesus. And verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, verse 35, so that's the context. So how late is he ministering, serving, doing spiritual battle? Late into the night. Verse 35, and rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, we would have understood. We would have totally got and forgiven him 
If in the morning he said, you know what, I'm going to sleep in today. And you know what, there's nothing wrong with sleeping in from time to time. And he could, he could have done that. We would have understood if he decided, you know what, before I go, I'm just going to pour myself a second cup of coffee. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to read the newspaper, I'm going to scroll through social media and just see what's going on. I just got to just kind of take it easy. We would understand. He's had a busy, busy night of ministry. He's, how is he feeling? Feeling exhausted and spent. I mean, you know what it is to work late into the night? You know what it is, too, to do spiritual battle? Spiritual warfare is oppressive and exhausting. So it'd be understandable if he kind of took the morning off and wouldn't be a sin. But it's not what he did. He went and got into communion with his father. He went to pray. Perhaps you've had nights like that. Perhaps you're in a season like that where you are incredibly busy. Everybody needs a piece of you. And by the time they're all done taking a piece of you, you've still got a mountain of things waiting for you to do that you haven't got to yet. There's not enough hours in the day. You need that 25-hour day if only it existed. And you feel exhausted and overwhelmed. Some of you know that as well as the weariness that comes with spiritual warfare. And you're, you're laboring for the Lord as a parent, as a spouse, as a servant of Jesus. And you feel at times, maybe even today, overwhelmed and burdened and busy. So loved ones, what does Jesus show you you need? You need God time. You need God time. I want you to make a notice of this. Here's here, note of this. Here's our main point for today, our main point. I want you to see this up on the screen here. God time is a priority and a necessity. So like, if you miss the rest of what I got to say this morning, this is the key thing to get right here. Like if you're overwhelmed, all of a sudden the kidney stone just starts doing its thing or whatever, you gotta, this is the main thing you gotta see. God time is a priority and a necessity. And it's a priority and a necessity when you're busy. When you're busy. We see this in Jesus' life, right? He's not bored, he's not looking for things to do. He's not looking for a hobby to fill his time. He's got plenty on his plate. He's got, he's got almost, as it were, more than he could handle in a sense. And yet in the midst of that busyness, he made it a priority. He saw it necessary to go and to have God time, to be with the Father and to, to pray, to be in his presence. It's a situation. We find him going to a desolate place. Why a desolate place? A deserted place? Because nobody else is there. He needed to find somewhere where he could just be alone with God and, and not be interrupted. Because he, he, he needed that. He sensed that he needed it. Remember, he's the son of God. He's fully human and he's the son of God. So if the son of God needs to get away and get alone with God, how much more do you and I need that? Even when we're busy, overwhelmed, burdened. Sometimes people will talk about Bible reading and they say, you know what, I just find myself, I'm too tired to read the Bible. Just too tired. And I, and I hear, listen, I'm not quick, I don't think I'm quick to judge on this. I, I hear what they're saying. You know, it's a long day and I go to read my Bible and it's just, I, I, just, I just can't stay awake. I, I fall asleep. And lots of us know what that's like when you're fatigued and you're trying to, to read. And, or maybe you just say, I, I just can't seem to find the time. There's always something. Listen, yes, there's always going to be something. But my urgency, my plea to you would be fight for it. Like, fight for it. If you fall asleep, maybe you got to stand up. Maybe you have in your life fallen asleep standing up. Maybe. Most of you haven't. There's a less likelihood you're going to fall asleep if you stand up. I don't know. Maybe you got to go sit outside or something. Maybe, I don't, maybe, maybe it'd be helpful to drink a cup of coffee. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, what, what you got to do, but I would just say fight for it. We give up way too easy when we need this God time. And Jesus is showing us the way. When you're spent, you need to be filled. So where do you go for that? Where do you go for the refill? You go to God. 
I feel this too. Look, we, we, um, a couple weeks ago, we were just coming into the fall here, and our staff team, we agreed together to set aside a half day for prayer. And uh, I just felt this really important, and I brought it up. I said, you know, we, we, need, we need to do this, and we agreed together when it was going to happen. And uh, listen, I know this is important. I'm a pastor here. I know this is important. We need this. But there's a little part of me, just to be honest, don't, don't spread this around, okay? It's a little embarrassing, so don't tell anybody. But there's a little part of me inside that says, I don't have time for this. I got so many things to do. Like my to-do list, I got stuff from last week and the week before I still haven't got to. I feel the pressure of getting these, getting these sermons ready. There's, there's lots of moving parts going on right now. There's things we're trying to work out together with the elders and the staff, and there's people to care for. And just think to take a half a day to pray, surely there's, I could accomplish way more, couldn't I, with that half day than just praying? But that's foolishness. It's foolishness. Sometimes you might overhear yourself saying that too. The reality is sometimes we feel like we can't afford to. The truth is we can't afford not to because we need the Lord. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I need to get with him. We're tempted to think sometimes that we're too busy and some of us are busy and maybe you are too busy for making time for things that matter. Maybe you got to readjust the schedule, but I also think it's a place for just being honest. So just, just be honest again. It's just you and the Lord, so just, he already knows, so just be honest. Are there things that you do spend your time on that you don't need to? That you could do God time? I was mildly surprised when I read this statistic a couple weeks ago that on average, Canadians spend two hours and five minutes every day on social media. That's on average. Canadians spend two hours and five minutes a day on social media. Now, you're no average Canadians. I'm sure it's way less for you, I'm sure. But listen to this quote from John Piper. He's known for putting a fine point on things. He says, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Many believers follow the example of Jesus and rise early in the morning. One of our staff members, Jenny Reed, she has got this little phrase, I like it, word before world. Word before world. I think it's a good habit to be in, but that's not mandated. It's not, it's, Jesus sets an example here. We're going to see those other times that he prayed. It wasn't just early in the morning. The important thing is that you do it, that you do spend time with the Lord, that you have God time. And for some of you, some of you got to get creative. Your place in life, your stage in life, where you live, maybe you got children around and your life is just like, you've got you to fight to find time. And I'm here to encourage you, fight to find it. I know a guy, he was a, he was a great preacher. He was a lay preacher and a really good preacher. And he, he told me one time, he's like, Ross, you know when I do my best sermon writing? It's on my lunch hour. Monday to Friday, he was a school custodian. He would take his lunch hour, eat his lunch and work on his sermons. Now there's a creative way to do your God time. Maybe it's going to be your lunch hour some days. Or I got a friend of mine, he, uh, he rides the train downtown Toronto most days a week, and so he's up in the queue zone, the quiet zone, up on the top of that train, and he's got about a 45-minute train ride. That's his, his God time right there, Bible open and worshiping the Lord, and quietly, of course, and, and there, and you're like, well, that's, that's, that's what works for him, and maybe you got to do something like that too. I remember when our kids were really little, 
uh, they would have nap time. And for Leanne, she would tell you that, that was, she used that as nap time as well. But also about half that time, she used it for her God time because that's, that's when it happened. You know, kids hit the ground running in the morning and you know, the, the whole morning thing, like that's not really working without getting interrupted. So she found a time in the afternoon. And then when the kids got older and didn't use naps anymore, we're still having quiet time. So mom get a little rest and also get her God time in. Now, I'm just saying this. You don't have to do that. I'm just saying that you may have to get creative but it's worth getting creative. Even when you're busy, you need God time. It's a priority. It's a priority and a necessity. And Jesus shows us this way. He shows us so, so clearly. It's like your, it's like your phone. Um, Robbie Simon says something like this. Don't let your phone outcharge you. Like that phone, we've come to, we, just admit it, lots of us, I depend on my phone maybe more than I should but my phone has got my calendar in it, it's got my map in it, it's got my to-do list in it, and so I, I depend on the thing. Isn't it a nuisance when you forget to charge it? Like, no! So I got a little habit. My habit is I charge it every single night. So every morning, it's fired up, it's 100% every single morning when I go to bed. Well, listen, like you recharge your phone every day, you need to recharge you every day. I recommend you not plug yourself into the wall socket but you plug yourself into Jesus. Word and prayer. Jesus shows us the way. God time is a priority and a necessity. Yes, when you're busy. Is that it? Is that the only time? No, I'll show you another passage. Go to Luke 6 and verse 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So Luke's right after Mark. Let's go over several pages to Luke 6 and verse 12. Let's see what it says there. Really similar language. And it tells us about Jesus doing something that we're talking about here. And here's what it says, Luke 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. Why do you go to the mountain? Because no one else is going to be there. Go there to be alone. He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I think it's interesting it says in these days. So it's a season of time. He's describing a season of time in which Jesus would go out to this place. And sometimes you're going to have a place that you're going to go to be with the Lord that's going to work for a season. And then maybe you'll have to change it because your life will change. But in these days is what he did. He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer. Notice our last passage, he was up early in the morning. This passage, he's up late at night. Why? Because God's time is important. It's necessary. It's a priority. Now, what's the context here? Well, the context here is different from the previous passage. The previous passage, he was busy in, in ministry and in spiritual warfare, but here, notice what he's doing, verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas the Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. What's the context here? Well, the context is very momentous. He's choosing the 12. From his disciples, he's calling together 12 men who will be his disciples, who all, except for Judas, who betrayed him, will become apostles. Hands up if you think this is a big decision. 
Yeah, big decision. If you think it's a big decision, your hands up right now. Yes, it is a very big decision. I mean, think about the how massive this is. They're going to be apostles. The Lord's going to use them as foundational stones and advancing the gospel and building the church. This is massively important. And so on the eve of choosing, when there's a big decision to make, when there's weighing going on, what is he doing? He's with the Lord. He's with the Father in prayer. He's in the presence of God. I wonder if you've got any big decisions in front of you right now. Maybe a financial decision. You're trying to wrestle through whether you should purchase something or not. Maybe it's a medical decision. And you're in that precarious place of maybe you've got uh, two medical professionals or more giving you differing opinions on what you should do. And what, what do I do? Or maybe you're at an important juncture in your career and you're trying to make a decision about your vocation and next steps maybe in your education. Where, where am I going here? What am I going to do? What classes am I going to choose? That's a big decision. Lots of big decisions that you may be wrestling with today, maybe even about a relationship or about marriage. What does Jesus show us here? That God time is a priority and necessity when you're busy and when you're choosing. And when you're choosing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's good advice for your life. And then it says this. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or he will make your path straight. It's a curious rendering in English because it, it can maybe land on us in the wrong way. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It's almost like we could understand it just like, as you're living your life, make sure you acknowledge God. Like, I'm doing life, God, you're there, go. Okay, you're doing life. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. To acknowledge in antiquity, in the, in the original, means to know. In all your ways, know him. Well, how are you going to know him? By drawing near to him by feeding on his word and, and responding to him in prayer. In all your ways, know him. So the only way you're going to really know him is if you make God time a priority. Then he will direct your paths. You see, what many of us need right now is wisdom. And so the Bible's answer, if you need wisdom, then get near the one who's the source of all wisdom. He's probably going to give you better advice than your cousin. He's probably going to direct your steps a little more wisely than you. In all your ways, know him. It's not a nod to God. It's a seeking of God. So when you think about major decisions in your life, I would plead with you to follow the example of Jesus. Leanne and I have learned this in our lives. I can think of enormous decisions we have made, including coming here, which were, yes, bathed in prayer, in very specific prayer at times, we have learned to pray specifically when we're seeking God's wisdom and to watch for him to work. And I can just testify, we, we can testify. He will direct your steps. What we want is for him to show us the whole way forward and how it's all going to work out. He's not into that. But he will show you where to put your foot next. And he will direct your steps as you know him. But here's the thing. You must draw near to him. You've got to depend on him. And think about this church. This church was planted. Not by somebody rolling out a big, beautiful strategy. But by a small group of believers getting together and praying. And praying specifically. God, if you are not in this, then shut this down. But if you are in this, then lead us forward. I think God was in it. And he showed the way. 
And this is what we're doing right now as a church. There's a group of our members who are praying together right now specifically for the Lord's leading for a potential plant. And so we're not running out with a strategy or with the people. All those things, I'm not saying those things don't matter. But what we're doing first and foremostly and always want to seek the Lord and ask him for confirmation and direction. Lord, you lead us. If you're not in this, shut this down. But if you are, then give us the faith to keep going forward and for you to pave the way. Joseph Scriven in his famous hymn wrote this line, Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Loved one, God time is a priority and a necessity. When you're busy, when you're choosing, and the other times that Jesus is praying, yeah, I want to show you another one. Look at Matthew 14, verse 13. Matthew 14 and 13. We've seen him busy. We've seen him choosing, deciding, weighing. Now Matthew 14 and verse 13. See what I mean? We're moving around in the Bible today. I got the key verses on the screen though, so you can just follow there. If you're using your Bible app, it's probably pretty fast. Matthew 14 and verse 13. Now in this text, we're gonna see, read this verse. It doesn't explicitly say that he prayed, but the formula, the language is such that I think is a very safe inference that this is what is meant. This is what he was doing. Have a look at it for yourself. You, you decide for yourself. Matthew 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there, notice, in a boat this time. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. See, similar pattern, similar language. I think it's a very safe inference that he is endeavoring to get somewhere alone to be with the Father, to be in the presence of the Father after God time. He's after God time. Now, what's the context here? Well, the context tells us that he heard something. What did he hear? Well, this is what he heard about. If you just look back up in verse 6, same chapter, Matthew 14, verse 6. And it tells us about Herod's birthday. Now, Herod was the ruler in the region installed by Rome, and Herod was a wicked man. It says in verse 6, But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Verse 8, prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. Now, this is John the Baptist. He was a relative of Jesus, and his special ministry was to introduce Jesus to the people. And he'd done that. And now here, look what is happening. At the whim of some wicked, wealthy elites, he is beheaded. It's a terrible injustice, a brutal murder, grisly. He sent, verse 10, and had John beheaded in the prison. And notice, his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples, verse 12, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. This is what he heard about. He got word about the death, the brutal murder of John the Baptist. And it's in that context that in this verse, he gets in a boat and tries to withdraw away to a desolate place. Why? Because his knee-jerk reaction in the face of grief is to get with God. And loved ones, if that's what the, if that's what the incarnate Son of God knew he needed, how much more do you and I need that as well? I wonder if you are in grief today. 
Grieving perhaps the death of a loved one. Grieving perhaps a circumstance in which you have found, you've experienced tremendous loss. Maybe you're grieving the end of a relationship, grieving the death of a dream, suffering some kind of injustice. Our sorrows are many. And Jesus knew all about sorrows. In fact, the Bible says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. Yet we see his reflex action, his reflex reaction to grief is to get with God. How do you handle heartbreak, loved one? How, are you, how do you handle heartbreak? How do you, how do you handle grief? Well, a lot of people handle it in unhealthy ways. Some of you try to medicate it, don't you? Alcohol and drugs, substances. It takes the edge off. Helps you feel different, but you see, don't you? You're just adding more problems to your existing problems. It's a dark hole. It's a nasty slide that you're in. It may feel temporarily like it's bringing you relief, but it's just going to bring you more misery. Many try to suppress it by being distracted and keeping busier and busier. Many grasp for other comforts that don't turn out to be all that comforting. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's even self-harm. These things don't do what the devil and the world and sometimes our own thoughts tell us they will do. They don't bring comfort. They don't bring relief. But there is someone who does bring comfort, and Jesus knew it. And he shows us the way. See, God time is a priority and a necessity when you're grieving, when you're grieving in your life. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's what some of you need today, is to draw near to him. And because of Jesus, we can draw near to God. You know that, don't you? That Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to make the way for you to come to God. He died the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 1 Peter 3.18. It's a great privilege afforded to us by Jesus. It's at the heart of the gospel message that we can be friends with God. And being friends with God, we can draw near to him and have fellowship with him. We can hear from him and talk to him. That's what Jesus did in all kinds of circumstances. When busy, when choosing, when grieving, someone said, if your heart needs healing, make frequent appointments with the great physician. When you're busy, when you're choosing, when you're grieving, any other times we see Jesus, see Jesus doing God time? Let me show you one more. Go to Luke 22 and verse 41. It's from Matthew, Mark, Luke, right near the end of Luke. Luke 22 and verse 41. And we'll see here again Something very familiar. Luke 22 and verse 41. God times a priority and necessity when you're busy, when you're choosing, when you're grieving. And here we see it in another, in another context. And he withdrew, verse 41, and he withdrew from them, talking about his disciples, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. What's the context? Well, the context is that he's at Gethsemane, and it's the night before his crucifixion. The mob is already on their way to come and to arrest him, and what is Jesus doing in the midst of such anguish and suffering? Well, it tells us. He knelt down and prayed, verse 42, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. You know what I find? This is such a curious verse. You know what I find so curious about this verse is that that's all it says. Then an angel appeared to him 
from heaven and was strengthening him. And this is just conjecture. I don't know this for sure, for sure. But here's what I think. And you may disagree with me, and I'm not going to argue with you, but here's what I think. I think the way that the angel ministered to Jesus in this moment was speaking truth. The truth of God's word. And we see this, this picture of angels as intermediaries of truth of God's word in the Old Testament. And I don't know, I don't know for sure, for sure. But I can imagine as Jesus is in anguish, in suffering, in, in misery here, crying out to his father and pleading that there's, if there's some other way. And an angel comes, it seems, and ministers truth to him because that's, that's what it is in God time. It's hearing from God, it's speaking to God. Verse 44, notice, and being in agony being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. See, Jesus knows what it is to hurt. He knows what it is to suffer. And that's when God's a, God times a priority too, a priority and necessity when you are suffering. I wonder if anybody here right now is in a season where that's what it feels like. Maybe you're suffering physically, suffering emotionally, suffering spiritually. It's what the poets call the, the dark night of the soul. And a, a well-meaning, God-fearing Christian will come along and say, you, you need to pray. But your reaction is, that, don't, you, don't you think I haven't thought of that already? I am praying. It's just I can't get through. It's like, I, it's like I, I'm crying out and, and it's like I'm the only, the only person hearing my prayer is me. It's like my voice bounces off the ceiling, but it's not penetrating heaven. Jesus knows something of that. He cried out to his father, if you're willing, remove this cup. His father was not willing. And yet he submitted himself to his father. He said, yet not what I will, but what you will. You might feel like Many a saint has felt, even like the psalmist, who feels like God is far away, feeling in a season of your life like God has abandoned you. That is a dark, painful place to be. But what Jesus shows us to do is to seek God anyway. Somebody said this, and I thought it was so powerful. They said, pursue his presence until you no longer feel his absence. Pursue his presence until you no longer feel his absence. Now, I've got a few more things to say. I'm not quite done my sermon. I'm just about done. But I want to pause right here and pray. You're like, this is a little weird. He prays when he's done preaching. Yeah, I know. I'm going to preach just a little bit more. But I want to pray right now. If you're suffering, I want to encourage you to pray along with me as we pray together. Father in heaven, your word says, and we believe in this church that you hear us when we cry out to you. But I don't feel like it right now. If I'm honest before you, I feel like you're a long way away from me. I don't feel your presence. But I long to. And yet the more I long to, the more I feel I don't feel it. And I talk to you, I call out to you, but it's like I don't hear an answer. And so in my weakness, I start to doubt you. I believe you're there, but I help my unbelief. Lord God, hear me. I cry out to you in faith right now. Your child, your blood-bought child, I call out to you right now, and I plead with you to hear me and to renew my faith that you're listening. Now, as we pray like this, and just still in this moment of prayer, you might be thinking, Is that, can I pray like that? Yes. 
Absolutely. Pour it out, tell him. The Lord already knows what you're feeling and thinking to tell him. Lord God, I call out to you. It's like I'm knocking on heaven's door and I feel like nobody's answering. But here I am again in faith. Here I am again because I believe you, God. So I pray you would hear me and come and do something. Help me, Lord, to feel your presence. Send an angel. Give me the filling of your spirit. Give me a word, even a, a sense of comfort right now that you are here. God, I'm hungry for you. I'm like the psalmist. I thirst for you. My, I pant for the living God. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come. I would exhort you that if you're in this place of suffering or feeling like you're out in the cold spiritually, talk to the Lord and talk to him just like that. Just like that. And he will hear you. Jesus shows us the way. God times a priority and a necessity when we are suffering. I want to show you one more verse. One more verse. And then I'm done. And it's Luke 5 and verse 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke 5 and verse 16. I warned you ahead of time we'd be all over, but I want you to see this verse because this really pulls all together. Luke 5, verse 16. Talking about Jesus again. It says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I'll read that again. But he, talking about Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The Lord Jesus was in the habit of God time. And my last point is God time is a priority and a necessity, and then I just put this in our notes, a blank, when you're, anytime, you fill it in, because the point is, is that all times, anytime, it's time for God time. It's a priority and a necessity in all times in my life. The psalmist, Psalm 8410 says, better is one day in your courts, talking to God, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Why? Because there's no one so satisfying. There's no one so thrilling. There's no one and nothing I need more than God and his presence in my life and to be abiding in him. Robbie Simon says, there's no time like God time. I say, amen. Loved one, you were made for this. You were made to know the living God. You were saved to know the living God. You were called to know the living God. And a practical application, a means of doing that is that we seek him in God time. And so I want to challenge you to God time, to be in the Bible, and to be in prayer. Do you know, the Lifeway Research did a study in Canada a few years ago amongst church-going Christians, and one of the questions they asked is, as a, of their respondents is, how many, do you read the Bible every day? Do you read the Bible every day? What percentage of people do you think said, yes, I read the Bible every day? Just think, you don't have to say it out loud, but just think in your mind. Here it is, you ready? 11%. 11% of church-going, professing Christians read the Bible every day. I would say that if those stats bear themselves out across the churches in our country, we are starving. And we're not abiding. Now, wonder what it would be like here. We did the survey here. How many of you would say, I'm in God's word every day? Well, what I want to challenge us to is we may not be 100%, but 
But let's agree together and link arms together in full faith, strive toward that. Because we need to be with the living God and to hear from him. I've got to hear from him. My, my, my fruitfulness depends on it. Life is too short for me to not be listening to God. And then to be speaking to him, to be responding to him in praise and adoration and pouring out our struggles and bringing our needs before him. He cares. He's faithful. He's able. I want to call us to God time. Very practically, borrowing again from Robbie. He's been a huge help. Robbie Simon's a huge help for me in preparing this, but from his book, uh, Passion Cry, five very quick, very quickly practical things. I would encourage you to get a plan. Get a plan, like a Bible reading plan. Where am I going to read? Nothing more frustrating than spending half your God time figuring figure out where you're going to read. So I just say, get a plan. You say, where do I get a plan? Lots of great places. Google is where I found my reading plan. I went on Bible reading plans. I searched for a bunch, and here's, here's mine right here. I'm not a January 1st guy this year. I started this plan on July the 20th. July the 20th, I started this plan, and I just work away. And uh, I can say with integrity that I've, I've been in the, in the Bible. I've had God time most days. Not perfect, falling short, but what do you do? What do you do when you miss a day? Do you, what happens when you get a flat tire? Do you get out and slash all your other tires and flog yourself? No, you, you, you pick up and you carry on, so you just get back into it, right? But get a plan. So I, I got an idea where I'm going to go. There's, there's no excuses. There's no excuses. No excuses. Never been easier in all the world history to get a Bible reading plan. You can find one for seven days, 14 days, 30. You can all kinds of them out there. Find one. Figure it out, okay? Get a plan. Get a place. For some of you, it's going to need to be more than one place because your life, it, it shifts and changes. You got roommates to do this. You got kids that are doing this. You may have to find more than one place. You might even, mom, you might even need to use that room in your house that's got the porcelain thing in it with a lock on the door. You might need to, and you laugh, but you might need to to find your God time. That's gonna be, I'm going to be 20 minutes in, that, in here. And so I don't know. Get creative. Get desperate. Get in the car and sit in the driveway. Go outside in your yard until it's too freezing and you can't do that. I don't know. I don't know. But don't give up. Find a place. Get a plan. Get a place. Get a pen. So I write stuff down. I write down verses. I write down thoughts that I have. You can see there's nothing. It's not terribly profound in here. My last, uh, my last God time here that I journaled, I wrote down some verses and underlined some stuff I was thinking about, talking to God about. And uh, one of these things about a tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness of the bones. So I'm talking to God about being envious and jealous because it came to me and, and confessing. It's just God time. So I just write that stuff down. I can review that. Just so get a plan. Get a pace. Get a pen, get a prayer. Pray for this, and better yet, get someone else to pray for you. After the service, there's going to be some people up here to be eager to pray for you. So can you pray for me about God time? And get a passion. Not to say, yes, I've done it, but to know the living God. To know the living God. So here's what I want to challenge us to, and I'm, I'm just about done, just about done. I want to challenge us to this. Every day this week, God time. I'm talking to you. Not the person sitting next to you, not the person sitting behind you, the person sitting in your chair. Every one of us, this week, God time. You mean starting today or tomorrow? Today. God time. How long? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Now, for some of you, you're just like, oh, that's nothing. My God time's 40, 50, 60 minutes. That's awesome. That's awesome. But as a starting point, 20 minutes. If you feel overwhelmed by that, good. Take it as a challenge because it'll make you dependent to say, Lord, you got to help me with this. 20 minutes every day this week. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to talk to God. Don't get discouraged if your mind wanders. Just 20 minutes. I'm going to do that. I told a few people after first service today, set an alarm for yourself. <laughs> so help me, God. I'm not coming out of this bathroom until 20 minutes is up. 
Whatever it is, whatever it takes, listen, fight for it. You can do this. You can do this. The Lord shows you the way in it, and he will help you to do this. 20 minutes of God time every day this week. We've got some resources to help you. We've got God Time 101, a booklet. It's available for download. I have one hard copy here. You can tackle me and take it from me after the service. Uh, some helps for you. The Hope Kids has got these neat cards, a little guide for having a quiet time. We've got resources for you. Just stop by the Connection Center. They would be glad to help you. Let me pray and ask the team to come and close the service.